0: I seek to uncover So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems Good morning everybody It's 949 a.m Central Daylight Time. It is May the 10th 2019. this is episode 95 of Bitcoin and. And a new ETF has been filed with the USC. This out of CoinDesk from Daniel Palmer as of this morning. A prospectus for a new cryptocurrency based exchange traded fund has just been filed with the United States Security and Exchange Commission. The proposed ETF posted by the SEC on May 9th was created by Crescent Crypto Index Services, LLC, a subsidiary of Crescent Crypto Asset Management, LLC, to track the performance of a market capitalization-weighted portfolio of Bitcoin and Ethereum. <clears throat> Dubbed the USCF Crescent Crypto Index Fund, ticker symbol XBET, the ETF is sponsored by United States Commodity Funds, LLC, which will invest XBET's assets In the two portfolio cryptocurrencies, the prospectus states, quote, XBET is an exchange traded fund. This means that most investors who decide to buy or sell shares of XBET place their trade orders through their brokers and may incur customary brokerage commissions and charges. Shares of XBET are expected to trade on the NYSE ARCA under the ticker symbol XBET and will be bought and sold throughout the trading day at bid and ask prices like other publicly traded securities. And, quote, USCF is a commodity pool operator subject that comes under the regulatory oversight of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the National National Futures Association under the Commodity Exchange Act, CEA, according to the filing. Quote, Crescent's mission is to create innovative investment solutions that make cryptocurrencies accessible to mainstream investors, said Chris. Uh, Christopher Mata, co-founder of Crescent, in a press release, XBet adds to the list of crypto ETFs currently being reviewed by the SEC. Decisions on two Bitcoin ETFs—one from Filed, one from Bitwise Asset Management with NYSE Arca—and the other from Van Eck and SolidX in partnership with CBOE BZX Exchange were postponed in late March. While the SEC has not yet approved any crypto. ETFs. It may just be a matter of time before one passes muster with the regulator. In an interview with Roll Call in early February, SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson offered the opinion that an ETF proposal will satisfy the standards the regulator has set eventually. Eventually is there in quotes. This is not the first ETF proposal that involves ether. Back in t- twenty seventeen, the SEC was weighing whether to approve a product from Ether Index Ether Trust that would also list on NYSE Arca. So, yeah, there you go. There's another one is in the can over there at SEC. Let's see what we got up in the stack. Um, oh, let's see. Facebook. Yep, it's Facebook. Oh, God, this is out of CNBC. Uh, Salvador Rodriguez writes, Facebook rolls back ban on cryptocurrency ads as it ramps up its own blockchain efforts. Facebook on Wednesday said it is loosening its ban ban on ads related to blockchain and cryptocurrency, allowing more businesses working on those technologies to promote their efforts on the social network. Facebook first started blocking ads promoting cryptocurrencies and initial coin officer offerings in January 2018 over concerns that users might be scammed by initial coin offerings offered by some crypto startups. The company loosened its ban in June to allow ads from advertisers who received prior written approval. Now it is further rolling back the p- policy so that many types of ads will no longer require approval. We've listened to feedback and assessed the policy's effectiveness, Facebook said Wednesday in a blog post. While we still require people to apply to run ads promoting cryptocurrency, starting today we will narrow this policy to no longer require pre-approval for ads related to blockchain technology, industry news, education, or events related to cryptocurrency. The company has come under scrutiny over the wide reach of this policy over the past year. In October, CNBC highlighted the band's impact on Bloom, a San Francisco start San Francisco startup that used blockchain technology to help people keep control over their personal data online. Bloom had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads to promote its services <clears throat> but saw all of its ads suddenly banned by the social network in October. I wonder if they got their money back. Uh, Quote, it's good to see them hopefully evolve their stance on new technology that puts users in control of their data, end quote, said Shannon Wu of Bloom in a statement. Facebook's rollback on this ban comes amid reports that the company is working on its own blockchain project. In December, Bloomberg reported that the company is building a so-called stablecoin that will allow WhatsApp users to send cryptocurrency payments to one another. Facebook has been in talks with dozens of financial firms and e-commerce companies to support the initiative the Wall Street Journal reported last week. So, yeah... expect to see James Altucher like all over your Facebook feeds. If, if any of you guys still use Facebook, I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even look at it anymore. It's, it's just, it's, it's a terrible platform. Okay. Uh, this is going to be for, let's see, uh, dev post. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. This is, this is going to be awesome, man. um, Hold on for just one sec. Yeah, I just needed to make sure I had the right one here. Uh, This is a tweet that I did yesterday. It says, this may be the first hackathon I've seen that has at least recognized media content creators. People keep asking, who is Bitcoin's marketing team? My answer is everybody. Uh, Bitcoin Games 2019. Okay, let's get into this thing. This is um, a hackathon that is going to, that has three major, uh, focuses. There's the lightning hack. There's the liquid hack and the growth hack. Now let's, let's just read this cause it is, it is short. And I want you guys to know about this. Uh, this is at Bitcoin games, 2019, Dot devpost.com. So I'm pretty much assuming that bitcoingames2019.com will get you where you need to go for the hackathon. It says the Bitcoin Games is a virtual hackathon designed to incubate the next evolution of the BTC community. This competition will precede the Bitcoin 2019 conference on June 25th and 26th in San Francisco, where the winners will be invited to present their projects on stage to the greater Bitcoin attendees from around the world. Uniquely designed to engage both technical and creative minds alike, the Bitcoin Games will bring together the most inquisitive minds, thoughtful intellects, and imaginative spirits to propel Bitcoin into its next decade of innovation. In addition to a lightning hack and the first ever liquid hack targeting Layer 2 development, The Bitcoin Games will include a first ever growth hack, giving multimedia creatives the chance to lend their skill set to Bitcoin's future. By engaging people with diverse backgrounds and uniting them to create something new, the Bitcoin Games will catalyze the next wave of creators and entrepreneurs to engage with Bitcoin. The digital future of value will also be giving tickets to our Bitcoin 2019 event to each individual or individual members of a team that submits a project meeting the submission requirements. So, categories, the Lightning Hack. The Lightning Network has proven to be one of the greatest innovations in the cryptocurrency space in general and a critical second-layer solution for Bitcoin in particular. In essence, it has helped scale Bitcoin without the need to bloat the network on the base layer. Lightning Hack is intended to simulate or stimulate growth and adoption of the Lightning Network by mobilizing developers of all types, To innovate on top of this technology, participants will be asked to showcase the power of instant free transactions. Uh, Keep free transactions in, in quotes there, people, because that may not always be the case. All right, moving on. Help motivate the future of the Lightning Network by continuing to build upon its existing implementations. Visit our resource page for links to documentation and resources and join the hashtag Lightning Hack channel in the Bitcoin Game Slack. Liquid is an inter exchange settlement network linking together cryptocurrency exchanges and institutions around the world, enabling faster, more private Bitcoin transactions and the issuance of digital assets, the Liquid network gives developers the chance to familiarize themselves with the powerful features Liquid has to offer while supporting user adoption with the development of Liquid-based applications. From new smart contract-based Bitcoin derivatives to asset swap platforms, the sky's the limit with solutions. Solution contestants can build uh, visit our resources tab for the links to documentation and resources, and join the hashtag Liquid-Hack channel in the Bitcoin Game Slack. Now, this is the one that I dig the most because this is the first time that I've seen a hackathon that has anything to do with Bitcoin uh, actually reach out to people who generate media and content, and not you know people who are in in the space that are not developers that are not coders. Couldn't code her way out of a, a wet paper bag with holes in it. And it's the first one that I've seen. And I, I think it's great. I think it's great. So the Growth Hack, focusing on media and content creation. The Growth Hack asks participants to create the most compelling video commercial to encompass the entire Bitcoin community and beyond. Participants will produce a television-style commercial 30 to 60 seconds in length that demonstrates the value and appeal of Bitcoin. Bitcoin itself has developed a a core counterculture, but the utility of Bitcoin reaches far beyond its relatively tight-knit community. Contestants will be challenged to channel the unique Bitcoin ethos ethos, while making its value proposition more relatable to the masses. Join the hashtag growth-hack channel in the Bitcoin game Slack. And eligibility individuals who are at least the age of majority where they reside at the time of entry are eligible to submit a project. I guess that means whatever country you live in if you're an adult there then you you can apply. Um this is this is awesome. Uh I really really dig it. The only drawback, the only drawback is that the growth hack prizes are are uh well uh well, you know, I guess come to think of it, they, they say there's $27,000 total in prizes and in, under the growth, there's the, you know, lightning hack bonus prize, lightning hack prize by open node, uh, a prize by radar, uh, the second prize and a first prize. So there's other, uh, other companies that I guess are, are offering, you know, to put up money for these prizes and stuff. But when we get down to the to the growth hack, it's it's not bad. Come, come to think of it. I guess I was I guess I, last night when I was looking at this, I was looking at something the wrong way. Uh, because the growth hack first prize is 5k paid in Bitcoin. All right, <laughs> nice. Uh promotion on Bitcoin magazine and Twitter account. Uh project featured at Bitcoin 2019. Up to fifteen hundred dollar reimbursement of team travel expenses. I guess that's on top of the five thousand dollars. Nice. Uh, Growth hack second prize is three k promotion on Bitcoin Mag. Uh, third prize is two k. All of this is paid in Bitcoin. Uh, it's nice. So it's good to see that some people are starting to recognize that it's not just the coders, it's not just the developers, it's not just the miners, it's not just the full node runners. It's every one of us idiots with a Twitter account, a voice, and I don't know, not terribly idiotic about things. So go again, this is gonna be uh let's see, Bitcoin games dot com. And all this stuff, if if you can't get to it now, uh all this stuff is in my curated Twitter timeline that I do for the morning roundup. Um, you can get to it from the show notes. Uh, it, it's I've got a link to it down there, so you can go right to that that particular story. Um, Peter McCormick is now officially the stitcher. Uh, I, I'm calling him the stitcher because Doctor Peter McCormick apparently did a, a three hour shirtless podcast with Jun Seth. And Chris DeRose. Now, for those of you people who don't know, you've probably heard Chris DeRose say things that piss you off. He's pissed me off too. But back in the day, back in the day, Chris DeRose and Jenseth had a podcast that was a really good one called Bitcoin Uncensored. And the story goes that, I think it was John Seth had, you know, they, they were, you know, they were shit coiners as well as Bitcoiners. They were playing around with all this stuff. Cause this is like a couple of, this is, I think more than two years ago, <clears throat> maybe three when this happened, but they split up. It was, it was a great show and they split up and it had something to do with John Seth holding a bag of some kind of clown coin. And I can't remember what it was, but he actually made accidentally made money on it. And they were talking about selling it. And I don't know what the hell happened, uh, but they had some sort of falling out after that and they split up and they haven't seems to, they seem to have not spoken to each other until now. So somehow Peter was able to get those two, those two dudes in a room and do a podcast with them. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, like I said, I know Chris DeRose could rubs a lot of people the wrong way because he's just getting a little weird, but I still like Chris. Okay. I, I know I'm going to get crap for it, but you know, you can't just go around hating everybody, especially people that, that you used to respect, you know, way back in the day. Um, And Chris is one of those dudes and John Seth is, is smart. Jenseth Seth is, uh, I, I enjoy listening to what he has to say on these subjects. So the question is, will Bitcoin Uncensored come back? And I haven't listened to it because I'm not sure if Peter's released it yet. Uh, he may be waiting to release it. I'll, I'll have to look at his feed and see what's going on. But it would be nice to see those two dudes bury this freaking hatchet that is, beyond 2 years old at least. So somehow uh Peter has been able to stitch those two together and if not forever at least for 3 hours so I am very very hopeful and looking forward to listening to that exchange. Um I'm going to read the Marco Santori uh Twitter thread or at least part of it um, cuz it 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 gets a little long, but this is about the uh, guidance that was issued by the United States Treasury Department now on on cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, wallets, exchanges and, and shit like that. So but understand when somebody issues guidance, it is not law. It's basically kind of a wish list or they're quote unquote thoughts on the matter. So Marco Santori, who you can you can find him at M or M Santori ESQ, says today the US Treasury published massive new guidance on crypto regulation. It has major implications for wallets, exchanges, ICO issuers, DApps, DEXs, oh my. <clears throat> so let's see what he says here. The best way to understand this official guidance is the following FinCEN cares deeply about your financial privacy so long as nothing is private from FinCEN. Why? FinCEN, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, is the Bureau of the Treasury tasked with preventing terrorist financing, money laundering, and other nasty stuff. They're happy with you, you living your life as you see fit, so long as they get the data they need to stop bad guys. FinCEN is a big data agency. They scoop as much transaction data, identifying information, suspicious activity reporting as possible, and use it to stop the bad guys. This is just becoming silly. Uh, They've been doing it for crypto, too, since at least 2013. Non-custodial wallets are not money transmitters in the U.S. They are unregulated. Nice to see FinCEN confirm what most commentators have been thinking for a long time uh blockchain ledger uh BRDHQ edge wallet and all the rest I'll confess to personal delight here too advocating for the protection of non-custodial open source software publishers has been a personal goal of mine for the better part of a decade Why? Because even if many crypto users rely on their availability, they do not control funds any more than an operating system on a mobile device does. I join the chorus of commentators commending FinCEN for finally committing this approach to writing. Today is also historic because I will break with tradition and link directly to the guidance itself prior to requiring your attention to my self-important tweet storming. Here it is. And he gives the link. So, uh, he he goes into exchanges and clearly dexes and, and there's some guidance on ATMs. Um, in in some cases, Bitcoin ATMs will be considered, uh, or uh, are are ought to be considered money transmitters, so they will be illegal, and other ATMs will not be, and not I mean, other bit types of Bitcoin ATMs will not be. Um, So there's, there's a, this thread is great, but the, uh, the guidance here looks to be that non-custodial is the way to go. And we've known that for a long time. So this could, I mean, there's going to be implications for lightning. There's going to be implications for, for everything, but I get the feeling that what they're saying is that, look, if it can be regulated it will be regulated. If you look like you can be regulated, you're going to be regulated. If you smell like you're going to be regulated, you're going to be regulated. It this is this is classic if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Um so if your if what you're building is custodial in any sense of the word at all, then you're going to get your ass regulated. The only way to escape this shit is decentralization and non-custodial solutions. And by that, I, I, I think FinCEN and Treasury is sort of, I think they may be sort of looking for a way out because they they know that they can't stop this anymore. I mean, they're they're 10 years behind, and even if they made the shit illegal, um, you know, whoop-de-doo, there's 170, what, 174 countries in the world? I mean you'd have to have every single country come to a single table at a single time and all sign a sheet of paper together not that that actually makes any damn difference either all saying that every country is going to ban this shit and if you think that's going to happen you're you're just you're just fooling yourself and yeah so anyway uh, I I just wanted to let you guys know that the treasury department is now finally making noise as to what they think about this stuff, and take it either way, is good or bad, but at least somebody's rattling somebody's cage, just like Jamison Lopp is rattling Craig Wright's cage. Op-ed from Bitcoin Magazine from Jamison Lopp dropped May 8th. Op-ed name, how many wrongs? Make a right. And you can guess how right is spelled there. Now, this is a tome. So I'm just drawing your attention to it. I'm not going to read it. You need to go read it for yourself, but here's my take on it. There's not a whole lot in here that I didn't already know. And that doesn't make me smart. It just means that I've been in the space long enough to have heard and researched, run across, otherwise read a lot of stuff about Craig Wright because he's been... His buffoonery has been bouncing around the space for, I think, well, well, pretty much since 2015 and and a little bit before. Uh, But Jameson's piece basically is a repository for all the buffoonery. And we have to remember also that Jameson himself said that 30 to 40 percent of his research did not make it into this report because it didn't pass legal muster from his legal team. But as you can imagine, all the stupid crap that 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 Craig has done over the last few years is all in this one piece out of Bitcoin magazine op-ed how many wrongs make a right. So go go read it. there's a there's let's get the hits. I'll, I'll give you the hits on uh, from his part in because it's a bullet list of Satoshi evidence and lack thereof. <clears throat> What we know we can prove is that he has a documented history of questionable statements and activities. He has a history of appearing to exaggerate his academic credentials. Yeah, no kidding. He has made a multitude of technical errors in his writings that call his understanding of Bitcoin and Internet technology into question. His writing style, according to text analysis and demeanor, do not appear to be the same as those of the Satoshi whose writings are archived here. Now, there's links everywhere in this report, guys. When I'm reading to you, I've already gone across like three links. Um, so it's it's the piece is pretty well documented. Uh, Wright once said, quote, I'm a lawyer and this financial law is my area of speciality. Whereas the real Satoshi, when asked about how a financial law applied to Bitcoin, said, quote, I'm not a lawyer and I can't possibly answer that. Wright once said, quote, at no point have I said that Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, and yet Satoshi called Bitcoin a cryptocurrency on several occasions. Wright once said that he is an academic coder who has no idea about real-world coding, but Satoshi has said, I'm better with code than with words. What the hell is an academic coder? You either not a coder, or you don't. I mean, I guess there is a difference. I mean, but... I don't know. In this particular case, it just that's a freaking re, just absolutely stupid. Academic coder in twenty eight in two thousand eight, just six months before the anonymous Satoshi Nakamoto appeared, Wright made a public post stating, "Quote: Anonymity is the shield of cowards. It is the cover used to defend their lies. My life is open, and I have little care for my privacy." <laughs> and we all know. How he actually feels about that shit. In February 2011, he seemed unaware of Bitcoin at all as he was thinking about starting a gold-backed payment system. Now, that I didn't know. So there is stuff in here that I I did not, you know, I, I do not know. But a lot of this stuff, we, you know, a lot of us already know. If you don't know anything about it, you need to go read this piece. And it's long, man. I mean, it's just, it's a scroll fest. And like I said, everything is documented, there are several uh, several places where he goes to you know archive.is and where this th- these things are basically archived forever and ever and ever. Uh, can't recommend that piece enough, but that is seems to be the report that Jameson was alluding to uh, two two or three weeks ago. and remember, keep it in mind that Jameson said that 30 to 40 percent of that report, Never or of the information he gathered never made it into the report because his lawyers told him no that doesn't go in. So we can only conjecture what thirty to forty percent out the uh, thirty to forty percent outlying stuff actually says. Um, but I'll I'll bet it's pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> continuing on with the buffoonery of of uh, fraud, right? Is Uh, There is a story from the Block Crypto, and I'm going to get to that one right here. Craig Wright, objections overruled by federal judge, and this is out of the Block Crypto. Again, Stephen Pally writes... As always, Rosario's summaries are NMR and Pally summarized. Oh, I'm sorry. That I started reading that one in the wrong place. I'm sorry. There's a new order that was just issued in the ongoing and heated Cleman v. Wright litigation in federal court in Florida. The court overruled Wright's objections to answering questions based on marital privilege, <clears throat> but said it was going to wait to rule on whether his d- deposition could be, quote, reopened until he complied with a court order regarding his Bitcoin holdings. Now, apparently on the 8th and the 9th, uh, Craig was supposed to deliver quite a bit of information. And I haven't heard anything as to whether or not the court received that information. So, I, I you know, I don't know. But here, Stephen uh, goes into a brief description of discovery in the legal sense of the term, but yeah, I mean, if you need to know what discovery is, you know, you can go go read it for yourself, but, uh, I'll start down here where it says, um, if you have taken or, and defended a lot of depositions, you are familiar with the lawyers who argue too much in their objections and clients who try to act like lawyers. It is really really bad form for a client to raise objections on their own and to argue with a lawyer who is deposing them. Witnesses who do this tend to lose credibility, and if the lawyer examining has the right skills, they will hoist the witness on their own petard. Think about the classic scene in A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise goads Jack Nicholson into an on-the-stand confession. Cases are rarely this dramatic in real life, but the dynamic is totally real. At one point in Wright's April 4th, 2019 deposition, he was asked questions about his former wife. Here's part of the colloquy. Oh, sorry, colloquy. Question. So we do not have to go through every single question. Are you refusing to answer any questions about Miss Lynn Black? Answer, this is right. I am not refusing to answer questions. I have an oath that has been filed within a court in Australia. I will not breach oath and perjure myself or break oath. You are asking me to break oath and unless instructed by a judge, etc., etc., I will not do that. As to his second wife, Mr. Wright objected to a line of questioning by saying, quote, My wife is privileged in the UK. My marriage is privileged. You should know that as a lawyer. Are you seeking to have me breach marital privilege? The question, Dr. Wright, it will not be productive for us to have a conversation about whether or not the time of when your wife's name changed from Aang to Watts is covered by privilege. But, and here Craig interrupts him. Answer, I do not discuss my family full stop. Question, Dr. Wright, you understand that you are being sued in this case. Answer, I understand perfectly well that a con man in America has made up a fraudulent claim. Yes. Woo! If that ain't the pot calling a kettle black, whoa. So Stephen uh, goes on, personally, I read this testimony and cringe. The witness thinks he is being bested. That uh, the witness thinks that he is besting the lawyer, but by acting like an advocate and arguing, he is walking into a trap. If it were my client, I would take him out into the hallway and tell him to stop arguing and let me make the objections. Anyway, the lawyers got the judge on the phone, and the judge asked for briefing on the application of marital privilege to the question of whether or not someone's name had changed—a dubious proposition under U.S. law. Following briefing. The court issued a ruling which, in my view, unsurprisingly, overruled Wright's objections. Quote, the court finds that the plaintiff's proposed topic areas are reasonably designed to identify Miss Wright's and Miss Watts' knowledge of facts material to the issue in this case and or the existence and location of additional relevant evidence. They are designed to narrow the issues "...in dispute and potentially limit the scope of future discovery, they fall squarely within the court's intended scope for Dr. Wright's deposition." The court further finds that Dr. Wright's objections were unfounded under Florida law. The questions did not elicit marital communications and therefore would not have been protected by the Florida marital privilege. Nevertheless, the court will defer ruling on whether to reopen Dr. Wright's deposition until after Dr. Wright responds to the court's orders relating to his Bitcoin holdings. I am not entirely sure why the court is deferring ruling on reopening the deposition, but if one is reading the tea leaves, this tactic of objecting to questions based on Australian and UK law was unwise. Federal judges will give the litigants a lot of leeway, but if you push your luck too far, they tend to see through games and will hold them against you. So, yeah, Stephen, thank you for that write-up. Uh moving on, we have oh, uh Sister Hester. <laughs> oh, man, I love this girl. Uh, this dropped this morning, but I think that the, the speech that she made uh, is basically kind of like all over the place now. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, Hester Pierce is an SEC commissioner. And so this is from the Block Crypto. Uh, As of, yeah, like this morning around 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce is worried the SEC's reluctance to provide clear guidance will hold back innovation. SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce has voiced her concern about the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission not providing the crypto industry with clear guidance fast enough. Pierce spoke at the Securities Enforcement Forum on May 9th. Pierce worries... That the SEC's, quote, unwillingness to take meaningful action at all, unquote, will hinder the development of the crypto space. Pierce admits any regulator's restraint when imposing new regulations is appropriate. However, she points out that the new emerging industries still need to comply with securities law and there are areas where the regulations lack clarity. She criticized the framework issued by the SEC to assist with Howey test analysis. The framework should help issuers decide whether a token is a security under securities law. But according to Pierce, the 14 page document is too complex for those without specialist knowledge of the securities law. Therefore, instead of providing guidance, the framework makes the law even more of a perilous business. Our Jackson Pollock approach to splashing lots of factors on the canvas without any clear message leaves something to be desired. So we still have work to do in clarifying what factors are the most important in making that determination, she said. Pierce explained it is not the SEC's role to to guide innovation and that, quote, we should recognize that we cannot stop it and embrace the potential for positive change that innovation offers. Our science is likely to simply push this innovation and any attendant economic growth into other jurisdictions that have done their work and provided clear guidance for the market participants to follow. Agreed, Hester. Of course, I mean, and we'll get into more Capitol Hill buffoonery, as you might imagine, what the daily train wreck is going to be. If you stop it here, it's going to seek jurisdictional arbitrage. It's going to go away. And all the stuff that could benefit the United States or any country that, that doesn't freak out about this stuff is immense and it will go away. It, it will it it will never materialize here, not not fully. And yeah, jurisdictional arbitrage is a, is a thing. If it's people will just they'll just move, they'll just move. They are uh, there are many hundreds of billions of dollars in this industry. That's not the market cap of Bitcoin, which is like right around like over a hundred billion again. But I mean, even without looking at that number, the amount of brick and mortar places that are doing crypto, the, the amount of employees that are getting paychecks because of crypto, the amount of, of businesses like magazines and, and news outlets. And I mean, the whole, I mean, the whole industry is, is it's not mature, but it's, Freaking solid as a rock, man. And if you want that rock to roll down somebody else's hill, go right ahead because they will. And there's nothing, I mean, I don't have to move. If, if that were to happen, I could still do this show and nobody could say anything about it, protected free speech. If I was a coder and I was working on Bitcoin uh, for like, I don't know, for you know one of the companies that works on Bitcoin, um, then when that company moves and they would, I'd go, I'd leave, I'd pack my bags and go, man, because that just anybody who can't see the future is not worth my time at all. Uh, let me see here. Do, do, do I want to make sure that that is cleared? Yep. That is cleared. We have uh, a Prince, <clears throat> Prince Lorenzo. De Medici. <laughs> I love that name. Uh, this is out of CryptoNinjas.net. I don't know much about CryptoNinjas.net, but they have a write up here that I think is interesting. And if true, wow, because if true, it kind of makes today's daily train wrecked. Even more fitting. Prince Lorenzo de Medici of Florence launches digital-based Medici Bank. You knew it was coming. Prince Lorenzo de Medici, descendant of the original banking family, and Ed Boyle, former FIDOR Managing Director of Americas, have announced the creation of Medici Bank, a digital bank focused on the needs of today's international customers. The founders combine years of experience managing both traditional and digital assets To lead a team specialized in advanced banking technologies for digital-centric commerce and investing, the fully licensed U.S. Chartered Bank, headquartered in Puerto Rico, is developing convenient, transparent, and easy-to-use services for customers that need a fast, secure banking option. Quoting Director Lorenzo de' Medici, the original Medici Bank of Florence, founded by my family in the 14th century, revolutionized the world's economy. Many of their innovations that drove the development of international commerce, like holding companies, double-entry bookkeeping, and letters of credit, are still in use. The Medici Bank of today will be a reawakening of that innovative spirit. We are reimagining modern-day banking by leveraging technology that creates seamless digital customer experiences and expands financial opportunity across global markets." End quote. Quoting CEO Ed Boyle, we prioritize the needs of digitally native businesses and address the friction and inefficiencies that exist with established banking options. We are building Medici Bank from the ground up, not reliant on aged infrastructure, nor as an overlay on traditional banks. This is uncommon, especially in the United States, where licensed challenger bank options are few and far between, end quote. An expert in wealth management and alternative investment strategies, De Medici manages his family's portfolio, which, God, could you imagine the Medici's family's portfolio? Frightening. And shared ownership in a number of European banks. Recent technological advancements in financial services such as, wait for it, blockchain, blockchain have now motivated him to step into an operational capacity at Medici Bank, where he leads business development and builds strategic partnerships. Director de De Medici holds an MBA from the University of Bologna. CEO Ed Boyle's background spans more than 20 years of leadership roles at banking and payment companies, including Managing Director of Americas at Fidor Bank, Vice President and General Manager at American Express, and CEO of Blade Payments. Boyle holds an MBA from New York University Stern School of Business. So the Medici's, if true, okay, the Medici seem to be, they're going to be here again. The Medici's. If you don't quite know who the Medici's are, the dude's not lying. The Medici family is what started modern banking. And they did it in the 14th century. This is, you know, they were out of Florence. Florence. But they had their hooks in Venice, all over Italy, because Italy was a hot trading spot. Like you know, Shakespeare's "The Merchant of The Merchant of Venice" was written because Venice, Florence, Italy, you know, it was like a main trading port in the hub. So you had merchants from all over the world trading there. It made a lot of sense uh, for what we see as modern banking. To arise out of that, and that's exactly what the Medici's did, and the Medici family is still in, and the Medici family seems to be interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So there's that one. Uh, let's see. Okay, get on Gab is added again. Um, gab.com, Dissenter.com. Um, if you've been following these guys. You kind of know their story. The the skinny is is that Gab was a, a not a, I don't want to say a clone of Twitter, but I it's just for lack of a better term, a clone of Twitter, because so many people were getting you know getting shit canned out of Twitter because they had uh, different different ideas and whatnot like that. So Gab built a, a Twitter clone, and and then they went through their own deplatforming. All their payment processors gave them up. They can't form a banking relationship. Hell, they even got deplatformed off of, um, oh, the server farms that they were renting uh, server space from so they could do their operations, which I knew was going to happen. Because if you're not, if you don't own your own servers, you know, I mean, own them and have them on your property, that kind of shit's going to happen. And internet providers shit canned them. I mean, it's like, it's just a nightmare watching, having to watch these guys try to make a buck. In a space that literally says that they're pure Nazis, which is nonsense. Yeah, they have got they've got idiots on there that are probably Nazis. Who cares? Don't listen to them. I have to listen to all manner of shit that makes me cringe every single day, but I don't de-platform people from it. You know, and neither should anybody else, but it's happening. Okay, so I reported that Keybase, and I had not known this, that I forgot or had forgotten it, that Keybase had formed a partnership with Stellar and was offering Stellar Lumens in their wallet. And when I was reminded of that fact, um, it made me kind of just, I don't log into Keybase anymore. I mean, unless it's in my tray. Actually, it's probably in my tray. Yeah, God dang it, it's in my tray. Oh well, I got got to get rid of this thing. Um, so, get on Gab has a tweet out there that says, "Keybase is open source. Remove Stellar, add Bitcoin, add Gab account integration. Boom, free speech encrypted chat with free speech money." And this is uh, re- this is actually a reply to their own post that says, "Gab is evolving. We are a free speech software company, social network, web browser, payments. Next." encrypted chat and that's when they go into the key base. their last tweet on this is at this point our technology strategy is simple fork open source technology wrap it in the free speech protections of the united states law and gab's principles add bitcoin remove shit coins ship and no one can stop us <laughs> i just love these guys Oh, so I'm sure that the, the, uh, I can't remember malware. I can't remember exactly who, who's part, uh, one of the leaders of, of gab, but it'd be interesting if they follow suit with, um, with brave browsers, uh, creator or co-creator, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, and, and basically writes things that, that say, I don't understand why anybody's doing this. What, you know? And it's like, dude, it's like, If you don't want your open source project to get forked into another type of project, then don't open source your code. It's that simple. If you're going to be open source and somebody forks your code, you can't do a thing about it. So bitching about it is just a waste of time. Uh, On up here is Justin Moon. We're getting to the top here. Justin Moon says he's got a couple of tweets here. Next Monday, I will teach a learn to code Bitcoin edition class in NYC covering variables, functions, loops, and classes in Python, the command line, digital signatures, SHA 256 hash function, examples all involve Bitcoin. Cost 10 bucks. And then he's got his uh the link to that so you can go sign up. So so uh I guess if I guess uh, Bitcoin Week or Crypto Week or whatever they're calling it is going either going on this week or or next. I can't remember when because I never go. Um, so that would that would be interesting. Ten bucks, I would do that in a flip in a heartbeat. Uh, he goes on. In the future, I plan to turn this class into a Lightning app. You'll pay roughly fifty dollars US over Lightning to sign up. And you'll earn your money back after you pass checkpoints in the material. Last tweet in this is skin in the game. Of course, referring to uh, Nassim Taleb. Okay, I want to read that one over again. You'll pay roughly 50 bucks over lightning to sign up and you'll earn your money back after you pass checkpoints in the material. That is so fucking fascinating. And in a very real way, that is a knock on the door of all universities across the world. If they continue to operate in the old paradigm of education, in the higher education echelons, it's gonna, they're going to have a rough time because this one idea right here, <clears throat> this one idea right here is ballers. Now check it, Satoshi's treasure, which I'm not doing today. Uh, I will announce that they still have not found the key, the uh, hunter's hunted key, I think, or researcher's key. Still not found. Uh, longest clue ever. Um, you take the idea of a Satoshi's treasure type hunt and you combine it with Justin Moon and his idea to pay up front with the possibility of getting most of your money back if you actually do the work and learn what you need to learn, combine those two things. And I don't see, I don't see how the future of education would be anything but fantastic. This kind of thing makes me just shiver with possibilities. I mean, the the, the amount of, I mean, such a simple idea means that it can be applied everywhere. It can be applied everywhere. You could sell a product, okay? I pay you over hundred bucks over lightning for something that should cost 50 bucks and can earn most of that back. Then let's say I end up with, if I bought it outright and not promised anything, I could buy it for 50 bucks. If I wanted to buy it for 40 bucks on a discount, then I'd pay, let's say 60 bucks. And then by reviewing it properly, not just give giving glowing reviews about it, but actually like filming a couple of tests using the product and then posting it to YouTube and saying what you really think of it. You get like you do two of those and you get 10 bucks back through lightning network each time and you end up paying a total of 40 bucks and you did a little bit of work for the company. So there's where your discount comes from. I mean, that even, even if it's a terrible idea, a terrible application of this idea It doesn't mean that it can't be an excellent idea. Damn near everywhere. So Justin is ballers. And the last I'll leave you with is the sad story from Aztec underscore BTC. I had six BTC of shit coins on Cryptopia, which I forgot about in January 2018. They are now worth 0.14 BTC. Jesus, could you imagine I hate to end the morning roundup on such a sad note, but that's the end of the morning roundup. You won them, I got them. It's Vital Statistics. Bitcoin on average is 6286 uh, the, low, the high is going to be over at Right BTC at 6,326, and the low is going to be over at Bitstamp at 6,272. And guess what? In bitinfocharts.com, they have removed the price from Binance in almost... Oh, I'm sorry, not Binance. They have removed the price from Bitfinex in this. There used to be a Bitfinex price. I can only assume that since Bitfinex price was uh, having such a premium on it, that it was skewing the results in an average. So they stripped it out. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Over the last 24 hours, 344,000 transactions have been made, getting us to right around 14,300 transactions per hour with one 1,399 Bitcoin being sent over the last 24 hours, 58,000 being sent on average per hour. And the average transaction value is at 4 BTC with 0.052 BTC median transaction value or right around 325 bucks. Block time is 10 minutes and 17 seconds. The fees on a per block basis seem to be 0.81 BTC. And over the last 24 hours, 113 BTC have been given out as fees. Hash rate has dropped 3.76% in the last 24 hours, but we're at 47 exahashes per second. So that's still pretty, that's that's nice. The last uh, GitHub commit to the code was this morning sometime. From left to right, Ethereum is at one seventy-one, Bcash two eighty-five, Litecoin seventy-five, BSV fifty-seven, Ethereum Classic five and a half, Dogecoin is zero point zero zero two five, and at twenty-four thousand transactions over the last twenty-four hours, it's pretty much crushing BSV, but I, B Bcash has hundred and forty thousand, and I've just since I was putting this show up this morning, so over the last two hours or or so another 6,000 transactions have been made on BSV so something's up every time I see high transaction volume on either one of those jokers I know that something something weird is afoot but 6,000 transactions coming in on the BSV in just under two hours that I don't know there's something about that that's fishy everything I, something about that who am I kidding everything about BSV is fishy and, and Bcash as well All right, so Marty's bent for Thursday, May the 9th, 2019, issue number 480. Bitcoin creates efficiencies everywhere. The snippet he's talking about is real estate is a particularly egregious example of this effect. Today, speculators chase gold and concrete to protect their wealth. Developer Michael Stern explains, quote, the global elite are basically looking for a safe deposit box, end quote, and many have decided to invest in Manhattan properties to store their funds. By doing this, they are using their luxury apartments for saving instead of for living. As a result, journalists noted, quote, according to the Census Bureau, throughout a sweeping stretch of Midtown, from 49th to 70th Streets between Fifth Avenue and Park, nearly one in three apartments are completely empty. (laughs) Over the last 10 months of the year. Oh, my God. Similar trends are spreading through large cities worldwide, as The Guardian reports, Quote: The trend for the world's super-rich to invest in prime London property as a way to safeguard their wealth without the need to secure a rental income has meant the number of empty homes in Kensington and Chelsea rose 22.7% over the same period and 8.5% since 2015. As the elite continue to pour wealth into these commodities, bubbles begin to rise to the top. A recent report by UBS shows just how risky this has become. And there's a link to that report. Marty's been on this. Uncle Marty says the above snippet is from a piece published yesterday by our boy Connor Brown, which attempts to rid the world of the notion that sound money needs some sort of intrinsic value. Until the emergence of Bitcoin, we humans were forced to choose goods that exist in meat space to store our wealth over time. Over thousands of years, a few hard commodities and assets have attained dominance in our minds as quality stores of value, the two most popular being gold and real estate. This has allowed inefficiencies in the market to arise in at least a couple of ways. One being gold hoarding for value storage purposes instead of putting it to use in industrial goods that could help us build better hardware and technology that could take us further into space, parentheses, potentially to mine asteroids for more gold to be used. For more technologies to take us even further into space in parentheses, another being real estate. When one looks at particular real estate markets across the world, there are a couple obvious market distortions that have arisen in the world's ultra rich and have decided to park their wealth in high end real estate in major cities around the world and very rarely spending any time in them while driving up rents for everyone else in that market. While in some markets, entrenched homeowners are not allowing new supply to be built in an effort to protect the wealth stored in their properties. (laughs) Imagine if there was a digitally scarce asset that these people could store their wealth in, a digital better gold, if you will, that gives these people storing their wealth in real gold and real estate better user experience and guarantees when it comes to portability, its ability to be confiscated, or inability thereof. And the threat of having your share of the pie devalued via increased production. That'd be pretty chill. Imagine the efficiencies that could be gained by freeing up our current stores of value for more productive uses. The mind races while thinking of the possibility. Final thought, really wish I had a printer right now. Hmm. All right. Thanks, Marty. We appreciate it. Today, I've picked a song that sort of also points to today's Daily Trainwrecked, which I'm absolutely certain you know what that is by now. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead and rip this swim, one.
1: you drown, but don't hold-
0: wrecks in the world we finally have a United States Senator calling to make Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies illegal so let's just let's just let him speak for himself
1: I look for colleagues to join with me in introducing a bill to uh, outlaw cryptocurrency. purchases by Americans, so that we nip this in the bud, in part because not, uh, an awful lot of our international power comes from the fact that the dollar is the standard unit of international uh, finance and transactions, clearing through the New York Fed is critical for major oil and other transactions, and it is the announced purpose of the supporters of cryptocurrency to take that power away from us to put us in a position where the most significant sanctions we have on Iran, for example, would become uh, irrelevant. So whether it is to disempower our foreign policy, our tax collection uh, enforcement, or our traditional law enforcement, the purposes of cryptocurrency, the advantage it has over uh, uh, sovereign currency is solely uh, to aid in the disempowerment of uh, of uh, the United States and the rule of law,
0: buffoonery can only go too far, but not far enough for this guy. Because six days ago, he had these three tweets. This is Representative Brad Sherman in the United States, uh, Rep, uh, the uh, United States Congress. He says, desperate to show it believes in privacy, Facebook will build a cryptocurrency platform to protect the privacy of drug dealers, tax evaders, and terrorists. Second one is a reply to that. I guess they think it's okay to mine and sell the privacy of ordinary Americans as long as they help terrorists avoid detection and sanctions. And his last one is, The worldwide use of the United States dollar strengthens the United States economy and allows us to sanction rogue nations. These desperate to weaken the U.S. prey for a crypto alternative to the United States dollar. All right. So, Jud, the fact that there's just so much wrong with that is is clearly, clearly obvious. My reply is, You sound scared, bro. Also, you sound like the Republicans you say you hate. Wrapping this in quote terrorism, drug dealers, etc., is so fucking old. You need some new material if you want your clown show to continue. And he does, because this is, I mean, dragging out oh terrorists and drug dealers and and, and sex traffickers and child rapists and and tax evaders is the oldest trick in anybody's bag of tricks that could possibly ever be. And this is so freaking wrong, especially in this case. You know, it's just stupid. While I agree with the good rep, Brad Sherman, about Facebook, they don't care about your privacy. They haven't cared about your privacy. And there's no reason to believe that they will uh, continue or that they will believe and protect your privacy anytime soon or in the near future or even in the far future. They won't. It's Facebook, dude. If you believe that load of garbage, you're fooling yourself. But the dragging out of the terrorist child rapist, et cetera, et cetera, is that same communism playbook from 1950s. The one I think I was at the last show I played that clip where all you have to do, if somebody annoys you, so it gets to the point where they irritate you and you're through with it, all you need to do is whip out X, Y, and Z labels and keep saying it until the concerned trolls that actually have some power pick up your message and roll with it themselves. And that's exactly what's going on here. It's been going on for years. And frankly, we're all really tired of it. Um, Although I'm going to contrast this with, Another idiot. And I mean, I, I'm not going to apologize for calling these people idiots. They're, in their own realm, they are very smart. But they screw things up so bad. So here's Draghi spewing his nonsense about blockchain and Bitcoin.
2: Cryptocurrencies or Bitcoins or anything like that are not really currencies or are assets. They, a euro is a euro. Today, tomorrow, in a month, it's always a euro. And uh, the ECB is behind the euro. Uh, who's behind the cryptocurrencies? And so they are very, very risky assets, the value of which oscillates, as you've seen, wildly. They At this point in time, they, don't, uh, they are not significant enough in their entity that they could affect our our economies in a macro way uh, and so we we tend to consider them as speculative assets highly risky but as far as the rest is concerned we are not it's not really something that pertains to the central bank the task of monitoring and regulating possibly this it's more what I would say, more something that falls within the consumer's protection uh, competence, where you want to make sure that people who buy into these assets know what they do and are aware of
0: the risks they run. Now, here I'm going to hand it to Draghi. Um, The idiocy here is that the euro is a euro is a euro, and no, it's not because inflation. It's... So and, and y'all know about that. So there's no reason to uh, to mull it over. But the contrast here is that he sees cryptocurrency and bitcoin as a toy and that not it won't be effectual, it won't do anything and they're really not going to worry about it. Kudos. I, I appreciate the the blind man who who makes the decision to remain blind be what you be what you are ignorant and that's good that's good for us right that's really good for us so we can continue rolling also conversely to his credit sherman actually may be the only guy in dc that really gets it i think he really understands what bitcoin is i don't think he understands how it actually works but i think he knows how it works enough or has been uh, under tutelage of his staff has come to understand you can't stop it now if you go back and listen to him say what uh, the uh, rep Brad Sherman said he wanted to he stumbled and it's it's very very subtle but what he almost said was making ownership of bitcoin illegal he caught himself in the middle of saying ownership stopped and said make it illegal to buy Bitcoin. So read between the lines on that one. Brad may actually have some crypto. He may be, uh, you never know about Brad. Brad may be uh, putting some FUD out there to, to get the price up because that's exactly what happened. We're seeing a price spike after Brad opened his mouth and I think it's hilarious. So we will now leave the smoldering pile over there in the corner and move on to something more fun. Terrible joke corner is not brought to you by bad joke cat. Uh, I just I just couldn't do it one more time. I had to, I had to go get go get something else, and so I've I've uncovered this little gem. Dad, how do stars die? Usually an overdose. That's a good one because it's actually true. So that'll do it for your for your uh, terrible joke corner. me out. Y'all have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.